Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that every good and perfect gift, Lord, comes from you. It's a reminder that you are a good God who has not changed. You're a good God who created the world and your goodness, Lord. You have shown your goodness, Lord, through your work of, of providence and through your work of redemption, Lord. And you continue to remind us of your goodness each and every morning we, we wake up. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that, that one of your good gifts, Lord, is that you have made us who are not a people to be part of your people, part of your church. And Father, you gifted us with godly leadership, Lord, for your glory and for our good and for our edification. And Father, we pray that we would help understand your ways, that we may know you, that we may follow you, that we may rejoice and, and make use of your good gifts, Lord, to, to your glory in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been looking at the church, and we've been looking at this idea that the church is a, it's a people, it's not a place, right? We've been looking at this idea of, of what is it, which people, these people specifically that have, really, it's not just any group of people, it's a, it's a regenerate people that have, have covenanted together to be this, this church, right? This, 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 the members of one another. And, and we talked about that the authority of the church, the authority to do ministry, to, to, to over the, the what of the gospel and over the who of the gospel is primarily in the Bible rested in every church member, <clears throat> right? It's not a separation of the pastors or the elders or the staff. They go do the ministry and, and if you just show up on Sunday and you put your hour in, then you're good, right? That the authority of who is doing the what of the gospel, who should know the gospel, who should proclaim the gospel, who should guard the gospel from, from false gospels, that's the work of every Christian. Who, who knows the who of the gospel? Who, who knows that, that, that who's, who's responsible to care for the who of the gospel, to, to know who's part of the who of the gospel? It's every member, right? And we, so we see that, 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 it's, that, that there's an authority invested to the entire church. And at the same point, we see there's also this authority in the sense of that there's leadership placed in the church. So we started looking at well, how do we understand these, this, these leadership roles in the church? And we started looking at that a couple weeks ago with Greg here. And we looked at that a little bit more in depth and flushing some things out last week. And uh, what we did last week, we started looking really at this office of elder, overseer, pastor. <laughs> and we, we took the, uh, the, the, the statement that Greg said, and we wanted to look a little bit deeper. And the fact that, that overseer and elder and pastor are all used interchangeably for the same office in the New Testament. And I said, there's a problem that if you start to read passages and you start to break these apart, you're actually misreading what Paul has written. And so, you know, one of my critiques for Greg was saying he, he had the right statement, and yet when he was applying 1 Timothy 3, he applied it primarily to pastor, but really they're, they're, they're used interchangeably of the same office. And you look at that throughout the New Testament, and we, we really, what we did last week is, I'm not going to repeat it, we really dove into every instance that we see these in the New Testament. And we saw, uh, we, we first looked at this idea of overseer, right? And we said they have to be careful of um, breaking down what a word means just by what it sounds like in English, right? Just like the, the word butterfly does not mean butter that flies, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the idea of overseer does not inherently mean that this, this idea of overseer or someone had a King James version last uh, week, bishop, doesn't necessarily mean that they exercise this sort of managing or oversight, but we see, uh, we saw last week as we looked in 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 5 and Acts 20 that, 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 that when overseers were described, it t- did talk about aspects of managing. It talked about aspects of oversight. And so we saw that that, that that is an aspect, but we saw that overseer 
especially in Titus, he talked about overseers, and then he switched the title, and he started talking about elders of the same position. And so we started looking at that word elder, is it meaning the same thing, that an overseer is an elder, and an elder is an overseer. So what's an elder? And we started looking through, and the elder is not, well, we, we said that elder can have a, a multiple use of, of words, or multiple uh, meanings in the, in the Old and New Testament, depending on the context. If you're dealing primarily with, um, like, Acts in, in, in Pentecost, young men and old men, right? Uh, it talks about uh, young women and old women, young men and old men. It usually talks about age, right? Because the context of young and old. When you're talking in context of authority, it does not, it's not talking about age. Elders was a title of a leadership office in Second Temple Judaism, in first century Judaism. Actually, it has roots all the way back to Old Testament Judaism. If you were in leadership position over Israel, you were considered an elder. And by the time you get to first century Judaism, anyone who is an, an officer of the synagogue, of the Sanhedrin, no matter what the age is, you were designated as an elder of Israel. So it's, it's not about age, it's about authority. It's about an office. It's about leadership. <laughs> That's what this, this, that, that term elder really came from. Um, as I said that last week, is that the Christian church then adopted that Jewish term for the Christian community, which was, then I said even went farther where the, the, uh, the Latin word for um, elder was developed into the Roman Catholic idea of priest. And so that's where we really get in this idea here. We saw that an elder is an overseer, an overseer is an elder, and those, and those usages. And then we looked at this word pastor, which I said, you know, it's funny because in our church today, we emphasize the term and the role pastor, but pastor is actually the, the least emphasized in the New Testament. You really, it's, it's very rare in the New Testament. You find it once as a noun and two times as a verb. And, and as far as talking about leadership offices, it's very rare. <laughs> that predominantly, the New Testament talks about this office more as an el- elder, as an overseer. But pastor is a New Testament um, use. We saw that in Ephesians 4.11. Talked about that, that there are pastor, pastor teachers. That one of the gifts to the church are these people who are pastor teachers. Uh, and the same we saw that it's used as a verb in Acts 20 and, and 1 Peter 5. And so the main idea that I wanted to take away is it is an is it overseer as an elder as a pastor and a pastor as an elder is an overseer? It's all the same office. You you can't distinguish those sort of things. <laughs> so there's, it's not wrong to use different terms as long as we in our minds are not thinking that there's some critical difference. So when when we call Elias or we call Dave elders and we call Bob or me and Steve pastors. In our, in our modern vernacular, what that tends to mean is there's certain people that are freed up for vocational ministry. There's certain people that are, are, are more vocationally ministry. We're calling them pastors, where others are more in, in non-vocational leadership. That's not wrong to do that. But if we separate in our minds that, well, there's a, a greater, higher authority that goes with the pastor than with the elder, then there's a problem. We actually then are actually skewing the biblical categories of what's describing as a single office, a, a single type of, of, of leadership in the church. Um, and, and so that's, that's what I was saying. And we, we talked also last week that there are certain, um, the idea that there are certain elders that are freed up, that have a special gifting for teaching, that are freed up to be financially compensated, to be able to, 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 to um, spend extra time in teaching and preaching, that is biblical, 
I, I'm not sure that they're, they're called different titles that really is developed later on, but we want to keep that mindset that just because there's different roles that elders play, it's the same office with the same type of authority. And so that, that's really the point that I was trying to make last week. Any, any questions, comments, follow-ups from that? Is, no? it, is it the term in uh, Acts where it calls them deacons? Is that the same term? Acts because would... They, they, they freed up the apostles so they can... Yeah, so that's Acts 6. No, Acts 6, you would look... Actually, you don't even find any of those terms in Acts 6. Uh, in Acts 6, we'll, we'll look more when we get to deacons. In Acts 6, what you have is actually a split between the apostles and those, they're not, um, they, they're, they're described as deacon-like. I don't think, um, most commentators would not say that it's an actual office that was given, um, but a deacon, they're, they're, they're called these servants, the freed up, it's a deacon-like ministry that it seems that by the time you get to Timothy, Paul has developed and, and taught that more into an office in the church. But you're looking at this divide here. So there's some principles you can get from this that, that, that I think are, are biblical and, and, and that you do. But it's actually, um, what you see here is it's actually before you see um, elder leadership even in the church in Jerusalem. I think, I believe if I, I'm correct, it's not until I think uh, Acts 15 um, in Jerusalem where you, you, Paul and Barnabas come back after uh, their missionary journey and they're going to the Jerusalem council and all of a sudden there's apostles and elders. It doesn't say where the elders came from. It doesn't say how they got the elders. It doesn't say who the elders are. All of a sudden there's not just apostle leadership in, the, in Jerusalem. There's elder leadership as well. And so it had developed somehow. And obviously this was taught because then you see, you saw Paul and Barnabas install elders in all the other churches. This is clearly not a later development is clearly something early in Christianity of developing leadership in the church that were called elders that were separate from the apostles. But we don't see a lot of where that developed in Acts. Um, we actually, what we have to do is we have to kind of look at what, what Paul is teaching in the, the pastorals and say, how does that inform their practice when they see kind of from observation in Acts, if that helps. I was looking at when you were talking and you mentioned yeah. Ephesians, mm-hmm. and it seems like they're definitely separate. Hmm. And he says, and he gave some as apostles, uh-huh. some as prophets, some as evangelists, uh-huh. some as pastors, some as teachers. Yes. Well, actually, what you would look at, well, I, I, I'd have one correction, but go ahead and finish what you were saying there first. No, it just seems like instead of saying all or relatively the same or similar yes. or do yes. thing, it seems like he, He's saying there are definitely differences. Yes. Now, in Ephesians, when you look at what he's listing there, right, when you look at um, prof, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, um, and, and shepherds and teachers, you would, I'd say, yes, there's differences, right? Apostles are a different gifting than the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. Um, but what I'm saying is that, that shepherds is the word pastor, which is the only time you find the noun. And when you, so when you're looking at that, um, let me find my notes from last week. Yeah, well, I would say it's, it's interesting because you look at there and, and, and the way that the Greek is structured, the way even your English should be structured in most translations, it would say that there's the, the definite article, let me see where it's, um, um, 
So you've got the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So you have that, that last group is a definite article of the, and there's not a the before teachers because it's, it's actually, it's the shepherds and connective teachers, shepherd teachers. And so you're looking at it actually, you, so that's one thing I would say that as far as the, the grammar there is that it would say that shepherd, that what does it mean to be a pastor? A pastor is a teacher and a teacher is a, she- is a pastor. And so that, 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 that grammatically those two words are connected because you have the, this, the, this, the, this, and the, this, and this. That, that makes sense? Yeah. And so, so when you look at the, how that's grammatically, that's connected. And what I'm saying about pastor, and this is what we, and that's why I don't want to back up too much from last week. You guys can look, read, look, look at the, you're listening to recording. <clears throat> but when you look at, at how then pastor is used as a verb, the other two times it's used for a verb, it's used for elders and overseers. Right? What is it that elders and overseers do? They pastor. Right? And, and so you're looking at this idea of if you're going to use this as a title, and I would say, and, and maybe what you're saying, Dave, is that I would say that this is probably the least likely used as a title. That these are the, probably the titles that were predominantly used. And this was more of a function of that, those titles. I mean, if you just look at how it's used. Modern vernacular, we use pastor quite a bit. But it just was not, at least New Testament-wise, just not commonly used. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, but what I was saying is that, so, so for instance, um, you know, and just, just uh, so turn to, to Acts 20 real quick. We'll just look, look back there real quick. So in Acts 20, uh, verses 17 and 18, you see that um, who is Paul talking to? He has summoned the elders from Ephesus, right? 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus to call the elders of the church to come to him. So he's calling the elders. By the way, this is the same church that he's writing to that Timothy is overseeing in, in 1 Timothy. So we see who are the leadership of this church that Timothy is bringing. It's the, it's the elders, right? Well, now as you look at, at, at these elders, elders what, who, what is their function? Well, look down at verse 28. Pay careful attention to you and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the same word that 1 Timothy 3 uses describing the, 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 the qualifications of an overseer, right? Well, what is an overseer? Well, an, over, an elder is the one who is made to be an overseer, right? And, it, and it's interesting that when you keep going, um, um, which he's made you overseers to care for is to shepherd Pastor. An elder is made to be an overseer, and what's his role as an overseer? He pastors. You guys know what I'm saying? So you see this overlap of use of those verbs when you, throughout the New Testament. You see the same thing in, in 1 Peter 5 2. You can look at that later. Same thing in, first, uh, in Titus uh, as well, Titus 1, when it talks about this idea. So, um, and so what you're seeing is not only this overlap of words, but this idea of the authority. The authority of the office of an elder and the role of managing is tied into their ability to shepherd. And how do, does, does New Testament um, leaders shepherd? Well, we, we are seeing a hint, what we'll see later, is through teaching. They're shepherd teachers, right? That the way, that the primarily, that, that, and we're going to see that more later, that shepherding is always linked to teaching, to sound doctrine. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get that a little bit, little bit later, but... So that's, the, that's some of the implication for the church. An overseer is an elder, and elders and pastor, and, and it's, it's all uh, a designation for the, the same office. 
All right, let's, let's move along. Let's talk about the qualifications for elders. Um, elders, overseers, pastors, all the same office, right? Let's talk about the, over, uh, the qualifications. Greg covers previously. I'm going to move a little faster, but I want to pick up some things I felt that maybe weren't, weren't maybe as clear as I'd like them to be. Uh, so let's turn to 1 Timothy 3. First Timothy three. <clears throat> By the way, um, so if you read First Timothy three here, right, the, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, so when we see overseer, what should we think? Overseer, elder, pastor. Is it for? Are these qualifications for when you're calling a pastor? Yes. Is it just about when you're calling a pastor? No. No. What else is it? What else does it apply to? Elders, right? Anyone who have this office of elder leadership over the church. Thank you, Tony. Tony's, Tony's, she's, she's on it today. <laughs> All right. Now notice, and Greg pointed this out, the main focus of this entire qualification section, the emphasis is on what? It's on character. You guys see that? Mm-hmm. It's this idea of above reproach. Some would see that first idea of that um, they must be above reproach as like an overarching theme. It's like a subtitle for the entire sections um, because most of these qualifications deal with character. In fact, Greg pointed out, and he was right, that every quality in these elder qualifications except able to teach is either commanded or exemplified in, in all spirit-filled believers. That as you look, who, who, uh, who is supposed to be um, sober-minded? All Christians. Who's supposed to be self-controlled? All Christians. Who's supposed to be hospitable? All Christians. These are qualifications that we see for all Christians. You even look at this husband of one wife. Well, later you talk about widows as a wife of one husband. Who's supposed to be faithful to their spouse? It's, it's all Christians, right? And so, in other words... People who are, who are you're looking for a character of overseer, elder, pastor, is they are to be a model for the spirit-filled Christian life. Right? What, what are you looking for in an elder? What are you looking for in a, a pastor? They are a model who can say, follow after me as I follow after the example of Christ. Not that they're perfect, right? But that they are modeling what a follower of Christ is supposed to be. <laughs> and that leads to a later implication. Turn over to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, because it talks about the, the, the importance. If you think about the importance of an example, the importance of, the, of a model, if you have a poor example or a poor model, what is, what is the implications from that? Downfall. A downfall. You have a, if you have defective model, you have defective um, uh, obedience following it, right? And so, and, and so you see that you, when you invest authority and you invest authority, especially into certain models, he says you have to be careful of that. So that's why you have this passage in 1 Timothy 5.22. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Um, uh, keep yourself pure. Now, you're saying, well, what does it have to do with elders? Most, most commentators, I would agree with them, saying it's speaking about elders because if you back right up, it's talking about elders. It's talking about elders and in, in, uh, financially compensating some who, who labor well and preaching and teaching. And then it talks about what do you do with elders when they fall into sin. And then it says, speaking in this context of elders who fall into sin, do not be hasty in laying on of hands. 
And so you see this, there's this idea here of um, really what he's saying is to be careful in ordaining people as elders. So that's what you're Yes, because typically what we'd see is that when people were anointed as far as going into to, to ministry, into missions, into some of these things, that one of the common ways that would be done is the congregation laying on of hands um, and, and, and recognition of, of that, that giftedness, of that role. And so most, and I would agree with the, the, the majority interpretation here, is that really it's saying be careful to examine the character qualities. Be careful that you really know someone that you are saying, follow this example as you follow the example of Christ. Um, <laughs> now, how do we deal with some of the other difficult issues in that section? Let's, let's talk about uh, some of the, the, the character qualifications and some of the debates, because this is one of the sections that's very debated, um, there's a lot of different interpretations. So I want to back up, though, and say, here, here's the common principle. The, the, the really important common principle is this principle, let scripture interpret scripture. How many of you guys have heard that before? Let scripture interpret scripture. Important principle. Now, the problem is, is that, that even that principle can, can mean different things. It can be used dangerously, right? If we were to say, okay, pick your scripture and you can interpret all the other scripture with that scripture that you pick. That's the recipe for heresy, right? I'm going to interpret this scripture this way and everything else gets interpreted in light of that, right? You have to be careful. So what does let scripture interpret scripture mean? And, 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 and there's two main ideas that I think would be really helpful as we're thinking through this right here. First, it's all about, we want to think about context, right? We're thinking about context. What is 1 Timothy 3 and the context of the rest of this letter of 1 Timothy and the rest of the pastorals, right? It's all a similar letters of written to, to, to these, these pastoral leaders. Second of all, is here's the more, I'd, I'd say, a, a little bit better principle. Let the clearer scripture interpret the less clear scripture. I, I think that's, the, for me, that's the more helpful principle. That sometimes, if you have two comparable passages, that there's sometimes that scripture is clearer in certain passages than other passages. So, for instance, we have two passages that are nearly identical, talking about the exact same subject. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We should use those to interpret one another because Paul wrote both of them to the same context, dealing about the same subject. And there are certain things that are more clear in one and less clear in the other. And that's going to be very helpful for us as we interpret. And so those, so let's apply those principles. All right. First of all, let's look at the, I want to put one finger in 1 Timothy 3 and the other finger in, first, in, or in Titus 1. Now, look at those lists. Let me read them for you. And then I want you to tell me what you notice. First <laughs> Timothy 3. Let an overseer, there, uh, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well, uh, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how he care for God's church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall in the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought of, uh, well thought by, up, uh, by outsiders, so that he may not fall into dis- uh, disgrace into the snare of the devil. Now, let me read Titus 1. Starting in verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, 
so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine for those uh, and also rebuke those who contradict it. I, I, I left out some before it, sorry. Before it said, uh, if anyone, starting in verse 6, if anyone's a husband, uh, above reproach, husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to charge of debauchery and insubordination. Um, so what do you notice there? What do you notice in comparison to those two passages? A little less, not less. There's what? Less, less clarification. There is. And where? In Titus. Yes. Titus. Yeah. And, and in, in fact, Paul left out some qualifications. There's a lot of similarities, but Paul, he's getting old, he's getting dementia, he must be forgetting things. The Holy Spirit told him and he forgot. No, right? Huh? Yeah, no. No, it's, it's, uh, let me finish this up, Bob, and then we'll, uh, 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 uh. but you'll notice that they're not the same list. They're not the same list. That, that there is a lot of similarities, but they're not the same list. So we have to be careful in realizing that neither list is meant to be exhaustive. Oh, yeah. These are not the end-all, be-all of lists, mm-hmm. just like spiritual gift lists, right? There are two different lists, which teaches they're not to be exhaustive. The theme is the same in both lists. He starts with the same theme, which is an elder overseer is to be what? Above reproach. That's the idea. And then he flushes that out. Now, you can both over-interpret a list or under-interpret a list. And you got to be aware of both, right? So how do you over-interpret these lists? You can over-interpret by taking them more literally than Paul does, right? So, and, and we talked, and we're going to talk some more. It's the sense of saying, you have to have kids in the home. Paul says that you have to be a manager of your household, have kids in the home. If you do not have child-age kids in the home, you cannot be an elder. You have to be married. right? You can over-interpret the list. And, and, and also certain things like, what about the recent convert? What do you do with that? It's in 1 Timothy, but it's not in Titus. There are some situations that are more church-specific. So, for instance, you're looking that most, most scholars would look at Titus and the situation there, and that church in Crete was probably a brand-new church. It's important to have elders in the church. What do you do if everyone's a new believer? And yet you want to develop elder leadership. Sometimes it might mean a, someone who's a newer believer being an office of an elder in a certain church in a mission-type area, right? And so you're seeing that, that you, you want to be careful not to, to overread and overinterpret these lists, but you don't want to underinterpret the list. You don't want to just go, ah, above reproach is a guiding principle and nothing else really matters, well, you don't want to go there either, right? Because there are some specific issues he's trying to tackle here. So we want to be careful that these lists are not exhaustive. We don't want to over-interpret or under-interpret these lists. All right, Bob, did you have, you have something to add? Well, the phrase I keep throwing in my head is the analogy of faith. Okay, yeah. And that, yeah, Scripture defines Scripture. <laughs> yeah. And you'll get a difficult passage. Yeah. What is the rest of the Bible? Yes, say? yeah. And I keep thinking, the Bible that goes through my mind this morning is from an old Spanish class that I had when uh-huh. we learned scripture. Jehovah hmm. Espi Pastor, nada me faltará. Translated, God is my shepherd, hmm. I won't falter. Hmm. And yet that's exactly what God ultimately is, our elder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's 
the only time I know with the Old Testament where it mentions that word. Yes. Uh, I'm not Pastor. sure. Pastor. Yeah, it's, not very often. It's, it's, you, the idea of shepherds throughout, but yeah, but there, there's, and especially describing the quality of God, uh, it's, it's obviously one of the key, key, key passages, yeah. But yeah, you're right. And so we want to see what, 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 what the rest of the Bible says, but in particular, those that are found in similar contexts, right? And so if you're looking in the Gospels, oftentimes, sometimes, one of the other Gospel accounts is going to help you interpret that, that, you know, that, that context. And specifically... Yes. Oh, yeah. Between Matthew and, and Mark and some of their clarifications of what Jesus says on that, it's, it's, it's clear. Exactly. Yep, yep. In fact, on that subject, let's look at First Timothy, back to First uh, Timothy here, and let's look at some of the difficult phrases. Now that we're thinking we want to mutually interpret these passages, let's look at some of the difficult passages. Greg got into this a little bit. I want to get into a little bit more. A uh, husband of one wife, or literally in the Greek, a one-woman man, right? What does it mean to be a one-woman man? Here's where, I, and, and if you've been in my Sunday school class long enough, you know this is, this is big for me. We do not want to read our definitions onto Paul. We don't want to say, here's what a, a husband of one wife means to me, so therefore that's what the Bible means. Instead, we want to say, what did Paul mean by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? And that should be my meaning. Okay? Throughout the history of the church, you can find multiple ideas of what this, what this phrase meant. If you read the early church fathers, you want to know, know what the early church fathers thought this meant? If your wife died and you remarried, you can't be an elder. If you want to go early church, what was the most common definition? That's how they interpreted this. If your wife died and you were married, you can no longer be an elder of a church. That's the early church thought. That's, how, that's what that meant to them, right? Um, <laughs> then there is a, 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 as you got farther away from the context, I'm not sure what years, I'm guessing, you know, more, more modern years, uh, starting looking at it, they'd say, well, what, the problem in the Old Testament world was polygamy, Right? Or the New Testament world's polygamy and Greco-Roman world's polygamy. So obviously he's talking about polygamy here. That if you are in a polygamous relationship, you can't be an elder. Today, because of our divorce culture, right, that most churches would read this and they would think of divorce. If you've been divorced, then you can't be an elder. Well, we have to think, what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean by this phrase? Um, and in, in fact... Does, does Paul use a similar phrase anywhere? And I mentioned this briefly when Greg was teaching. Turn over to 1 Timothy 5.9, and Paul uses a parallel grammatical phrase that, that helps us mutually interpret what's going on. <laughs> yes? Uh, I think there's some more over here. Here you go, Ashley. Here you go. I think there's another one, too. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.9. Someone want to read that for us? You can go ahead and stop there, though. That's, that's good, Bob. Thank you. So no, notice, um, first of all, what's the context? Widows receiving help. What's the list they're being put on? Yeah, some sort of list for the church to have benevolence, to be cared for as an official godly widow of the church, to be looked after by the church as a widow of the church, right? And if you notice that wife of one husband, a lot of your translations probably have a little, um, a little note there. And what does the little note say down at the bottom? A woman of one man. It's a parallel phrase. This is the ex- Paul is using the exact Greek phrase, shifting man for woman, that he used in 1 Timothy 3. 
Paul's grammatical idea is the same in 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 5. He's just talking about men in one place and woman in the other place. So this idea is, so so if we want to understand what this means, we have to say, the only way we can understand what Paul meant in 1 Timothy 3 is if we take into account 1 Timothy 5. Do you guys see that? It's a similar phrase. Here's why this is so important, right? Is this talking about remarriage? Is Paul talking about just, if, you, if your wife died and you get remarried, remarriage is not allowed in 1 Timothy 3? No, because he's talking about what in 1 Timothy 5? Is he talking about remarriage? No, he's talking about widows, right? He's not talking about remarriage. Is he talking about polygamy? Well, you know what? Polygamy would, when we looked at the final definition, I would say polygamy does disqualify you from being an elder, but not because necessarily of one woman man, because let me ask you this. Was polyandry a problem in the first century world? What's that word? Polyandry. A woman with multiple husbands. Oh, gotcha. Not in the first century. There was a lot of polygamy, but not a lot of the opposite, Uh, right? You saw a lot of of, of husbands with many wives, but you did not see a lot of wives with many husbands. So why would Paul use that phrase to be talking about polyandry? Is he talking about widows? If the widow has a bunch of husbands, she can't be on the widows. No way. There's no way he's talking about that. So if he's not talking about that there, his principal target cannot be, cannot be talking about polygamy in, in, in 1 Timothy 3. He's talking about divorce. Maybe. But it's the same argument. Is, is, would divorce disqualify someone from being on the widow's list? Right? Would it mean that if, if a widow's been divorced, we cannot care for her as a widow of the church? Right? It, there's a couple. There's a couple different terms. That's true. But I would say that in general, the, is that as that, that was being disqualified? Yeah. I'll, I'm a little tired right now. Yeah. So maybe this makes sense to everybody else. I don't understand how the logic works. It says, having been the wife of one husband. Yes. How does that disqualify her from having been married multiple times? Sorry, say again. She could, how does that disqualify the situation? Okay. Could have been married. I guess maybe I'm explaining it to myself. She could have been married multiple times. Mm-hmm. She could have been married, widowed, or married and then widowed. Yes. Or married and widowed and then married and widowed. Yes. In what what it's saying. Yes. Right? Yes. I'm yes. Right. And, and and the question is: Does that disqualify her from being a one man woman? I mean, I guess that's my question. If you want, if you want to take those phrases, does what disqualifies this, this widow from being a one-man woman. And, and, and so what, what I, I would agree with, I, I'd say that the majority opinion is not necessarily that there is some sort of divorce in the past. It's, it's not what was there, what, what, you know, was there divorce in the past, but was there faithfulness? That's really the idea here. What would disqualify a widow from being on the widow's list? Well, possibly unfaithfulness. Right? Possibly un, un, unrepentant unfaithfulness. I mean, there's some different scenarios you can see that would disqualify her from being a one man woman. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. In the same way that you would see that of being disqualified, yes, as an elder. Now, would, would polygamy disqualify that? Yes. But is it more than polygamy? Yes. Is it divorce? Maybe. Is it necessarily divorce? It probably depends on a lot of the circumstances of what sort of faithfulness or unfaithfulness is involved. Yeah, Martha. 
that there is that as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, Paul does go on to qualify that later if he says if there are family, then that's first primarily their responsibility. Yeah. 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 But I'm just saying, and to to try to as we wrestle with some of these issues, we have to try to wrestle with with what is Paul using similarly, right? And that's why I'm saying that this is it's 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 the same, it's a strange grammatical phrase that you don't find anywhere else in the New Testament. You don't find that sort of one, one man, woman, one woman, man anywhere else in the New Testament. So why, I mean, Paul used it twice in the same letter in this very unique kind of odd grammatical phrase and, and, and it's important they're mutually interpreted. So I think the best way to interpret that is what's an elder qualification? You're, you're a faithful husband. You have shown a quality of godly faithfulness, right? And there's, and that, and there's, some, there's a lot of discussion what that means. And what does it mean to be a, a, you know, to be a faithful widow? You've shown a quality of godly faithfulness in your marriage. So you have a reputation in the church and your community for your marriage. Your track record is long enough and significant enough that it shows your faithfulness in your marriage. Um, and so, so I think that that's, that that's just an important qualification that, that we're looking at. As you, as, is it, that's, being, that's one of the things that's wrestled on here. Uh, another thing that's wrestled about there, Greg mentioned that there's an implication that an elder would be a man. I think there's an implication here. I don't think that's the strongest text and the strongest argument. Um, but actually, that the, 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 if, if, it's, if we only had this text of uh, um, they must be a one-woman man, or, uh, uh, yeah, one-woman man, I think, it'd be a, 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 I think that it would be a, uh, what's what I wrote here? It'd be a debatable issue of, because then you look at, well, can you have widowers on the widows list, Right. But you have to look at saying, what's the context of this leadership? And you back up. Look at, look at the very uh, few verses before 1 Timothy 3. <laughs> 1 Timothy eight or 2, 8 through 15, you talk about, right before you talk about the office of leadership, Paul talks about the, um, God's roles and plans for leadership. Um, and so if you look at... Um, <laughs> particularly in the verse in, in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she should be quiet for Adam was formed first and Eve for Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So God gives both, uh, God gives gifts to both men and to women. They're both given gifts. They're both important for the church and yet they have unique roles as far as leadership is control, uh, concerned in the church. And, and he grounds us not in the culture and not because of how church's culture is, but grounded in God's plan plan of creation, that men and women are equal before God, and you're, but they're unique in their roles in the church. And then as it moves from that teaching, he moves from there into a discussion of what does that, that, that role of a teaching leadership in the church look like, which he goes and describes as overseers. That's the better argument that, that, that uh, when Greg was talking about the other week. And so, so those are a couple, couple issues of talking about that idea of husband of one wife. Any other follow-up questions there? Yeah. Well, it, it, it doesn't say, I mean, it's, it's not linking there. It's saying that, um, that in every place and every person, that, that that's, that's a general, just looking for general character qualities in general for believers. It's moving from there into this discussion of leadership. And so, now let's look at, I want to look at, before we run out of time, we're, okay. I want to look at uh, um, another two things real quick. 
real quick, first of all, here's another issue. Uh, look over at Titus 1.6. Steve dealt this with this in his sermon. I thought he did this well several months ago. But this is another one that's very debatable about elder qualifications. Um, it says, if anyone this, uh, is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are, depends on your translation. His children are, if you have an ESV, NASB, or NIV, what do you have? His children are believers. If you have a King James, a CSB, or an NET, Annette, you have a children who are faithful. <laughs> it can be either way. The Greek can go either way. In fact, um, th- it's a different types of adjective. It's a difference between an intransitive adjective, meaning it describes the character of that person, believers, or a transitive adjective where it's showing that they are, uh, uh, sorry, uh, that they're showing their faithfulness. Sorry, I'm, I'm messing this up. So intransitive Sorry, intransitive is that they are faithful. It shows that their character of faithfulness. Transitive is they're showing that adjective as they're showing it towards someone else and that they are believer. They're believing in Jesus. It's used both ways in the New Testament. It's used both ways by Paul. It's used both ways in the pastorals. Huge implications, right? Huge implications differently. Here's the argument for the intransitive. Uh, John MacArthur is, is one of the, the, the few commentators that would argue for the intransitive. He would say he's not trying to argue that if you are a good enough Christian, you can save your children. But what he would say is that if you are a faithful pastor, God will save your children as a sign of your faithful ministry. I'm just quoting from what he says. That if you are faithful, God will guarantee the salvation of your children through your faithful ministry. He's trying to disconnect with the human effort, but there's some issues there. Right? It, well, it's in, it's in his Titus commentary, but it's it's. He, but it is. If you take it as believers, you have to explain that, because and, and, and I, I give it this much: John has released people from his pastoral staff if his staff's children are not Christians, and so at least he he lives through his convictions. Um, they are. They there. There's some. There's some. They, I, I believe what, he, what they do, I believe they wait to a certain age to where see, to kind of where they can really see that decision made. Again, but this is, this is the argument. Huh? Come on, kid, get saved. Well, yeah. But again, but here, here's what I want to say. If that's what scripture means, we need to adhere to it. If that's what scripture means. But, let me, let's use our principle. Let scripture interpret scripture. We had this issue with the elder board. This was something we wrestled with and looked at. And we said, but we have to look at scripture interpret scripture. Look at the parallel requirement brought back in 1 Timothy 3. Because it, in, in Titus 1, it can go either way, right? It's not a clear scripture. It, it really, grammatically, Greek-wise, interpretive, can go either way. So does Paul say the same thing in a more clear way? Look back at 1 Timothy 3. What does 1 Timothy 3 say about children in verse 4? Does that lend more argument to either children who are believers or children who are faithful? Faithful. faithful. Well, I'd say according to Paul, what Paul would say here is that they, that they, um, that they are submissive. That they are submissive to their parents. And so, uh, just just according to Paul's description there, yeah. Faithfulness is directed 
toward the parents. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, the other one can be a, a character of faithfulness or a directed faithfulness. Does that make, does that make sense? So that word um, pistis can either mean a character nature of faithfulness, that they're obedient, that they're faithful, that they are keeping to their word, and submissive could be you know similar uh, uh, a semantic range. That can mean with intransitive, within themselves. Or that word pistis can also mean a trust in someone else, a faithfulness to someone else, right? And, and that's to God. And so what, 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 the best way of understanding Titus is a character quality of faithfulness. What does that mean? What does that look like? He fleshes that out more in 1 Timothy 3 of submissiveness, right? I, I, I would read it that way is, is, is the way he's clarifying in 1 Timothy 3. Yeah. <laughs> but, but my point is that if we want to understand what he means by faithful, we need to dive into what he's talking about there in that description in managing a house in First Timothy 3. And so. If we look in First uh, Corinthians uh, 4, 6, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually a warning of all this oversight mm-hmm. and how to interpret scripture. One of the things it says, it says, don't put in the scripture what isn't there. Yeah. Don't add to scripture what hasn't been written down. Yeah. And, and, and also, we, we want to we respect, we want to wrestle with what is there and how do we, we hold to that. But I, I would say, and I, I'm, I'm going to kind of push through here if it's all right. Um, and, and honestly, that faithfulness may result in their salvation and it may not. And I'd say that, that I, I'd hold that theologically. I think it fits. It's up to the spiritual re- regeneration. Our responsibility as parents is to manage our children, to, 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 to inform them of the gospel, to, to, to bring them up in the knowledge of the gospel. And I cannot save my children, no matter how faithful of a minister I am. And, and so, that's, so I think that that fits with that interpretation as well. Um, let me do one last thing. Um, some, so I want to do one last comparison, and then we're going to move on. We've been comparing 1 Timothy and Titus a lot. I want to just do a start of a comparison between 1 Timothy 1, uh, 3, 1 through 7, and then 8 and following the deacons. And I want you to notice something. We're going to pick this up next week. The lists are so similar. The lists between an elder and a deacon are so similar. When it comes to character qualities, they're nearly identical. Why? Do you remember what I said about the character qualities of an elder? That they are to be the same character qualities for who? Every believer. So what is a deacon? A deacon is a believer who is an example, is an exemplary believer for the Christian flock, except in one, one major aspect. There's one major qualification that's different. Teaching. Teaching. Character, Same. You want a character of a deacon, character of an elder, they should be on the same character level. You should expect that they're a leader of the church, a deacon, a deaconess, an elder. They should have that same character level that they could say, follow after me as I follow after the example of Christ. And that's what we've really sought at our church. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the deacons and deaconess we have. And I think when it comes to character, character qualities, that they have the character qualities of an elder. And that's, and, and, and that's what we should expect. The one difference is teaching, is teaching. Uh, one last thing on, on character qualities with that. It, it does mean that if, wait, if you think about it, that if, 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 every, if a deacon, a deaconess, and an elder, are all the character qualities that every believer should have, it should make you ask, why am I not qualified to be that? Right. Every believer, whether or not you serve as a deacon or a deaconess or an elder, you should strive to have the character that you would be able to be able to serve in that capacity. 
But again, that one major difference is that able to teach. The, what the deacons, it says, is what? It says, hold to the mystery of the faith. They know the faith. They hold to the faith. They're grounded in the faith. But there's a difference in there. They're holding to the faith. They're not able to actually then teach, able to teach when it comes to faith. And that leads to that qualification of that the, the New Testament does not talk a lot about what the function of elders is. But we do see a lot that comes from that idea of teaching. And we're going to flesh that out. And, and, and we're going to, instead of just saying, hey, what, is, what does a good teacher mean to you? What does able to teach mean to you? And able to teach mean to you? And able to teach mean to you? And said, I want to look to the pastorals. And I think Paul makes it very clear what he thinks able to teach means. And we're going to look at that next week. And so let me uh, pray for us. And I'm going to catch my breath before we head into service here. <laughs> but uh, it's just good stuff. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you, Lord, for... I just think of the examples of, of godly pastors and elders and deacons in my life and how they have been able to say to me, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I thank you that, that there's so many of us that probably each and every one of us can think of those examples that you've given us as gifts in our lives through our Christian walk. And Father, pray that we would seek to exemplify those, Lord, whether we attain that office or not, Lord, to be those sort of examples to others. Father, we thank you that, that you help us to... Give us the minds to, to think deeply about your scripture. Help us to be faithful to, to it, Lord. And whether we, we agree with it or not, Lord, that because we, we desire to do things your way, not ours. So we pray that you would be glorified in all this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.